Please stand as you're able for today's New Testament lesson from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually, we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I would say that there is not one person on earth who says this is the word of God for the people of God quite like Michael Thomas. There is something so powerful about it and I'm so thankful uh, to be serving alongside him today. So good morning friends. I'm Reverend Casey Orr. I want to add my welcome to Brentwood United Methodist Church today. It is so good to be in worship with you here in the sanctuary or there wherever there is for you online. We are so glad to be joining you in spirit and in hope today. Today. Uh, many of you know our senior pastor, Dr. Davis Chapel, is on the tail end now of his summer leave. Um, we give thanks, so many thanks, for this time that he has had to travel with Sherry and to study and to snuggle with his grandson and to refresh for the fall. And we will be so blessed by that renewal time, I'm sure. And we will be glad to welcome him back in the pulpit two weeks from today. But this summer, while he's been gone and he got us started in the work, we've been working working through a sermon series on life verses. Now, these are single verses of scripture that are most likely to become your home decor. They are the ones that are most likely to be needle pointed on pillows, to be the background of your phone, to be committed to memory when you're young. These are the verses that anchor us. And in just a few words, these are the verses that tell us something important about who God is and who we're called to be and something about who we are. They are comforting and they are convicting. And today, with Michael's help, we're turning to Romans 12. If my dear husband, Michael, were to list for you the greatest moments of his entire life, I promise you, with everything I am, it goes like this. Number one, the moment that we said I do right at this very altar. Number two, a tie. Two moments, the two moments our two children were born a couple years apart. And number three, just a very short distance down, the moment that his name was called as the winner of a coloring contest in third grade. 
He knew all the tricks, my guy. He knew shading and blending. He knew how to do that bold outline, the one that kept you right where you were supposed to be. And while coloring, always that tongue just sticking out the side of his mouth, which somehow helped with concentration and performance. I loved it when our kids first started coloring. Their coloring books were designed just for their little hands and their incredibly underdeveloped motor skills large outlines and simple shapes, and they would just grab a large crown, no special preferences, their favorite color, which was whichever one was closest, and they just wrap their entire fist around that sucker in an absolute death grip and just go to town. No regard for the lines, no regard for those images, just pure delight at color appearing before them. Coloring was like their own little magic trick. Kids know how to color with the purest glee. But that fades quickly, you know. It's sad to watch it. They learn so fast what those lines are for. They learn what color objects are supposed to be. And they develop the skills that may win them a coloring contest by third grade. In Romans chapter 12 particularly the very first two verses, Paul is begging members of the church in Rome to dare to color outside the lines. The appeal in verse one is weighty. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. When Paul asks that they present their bodies as a living sacrifice, he's not asking for some verbal assent to a set of beliefs, and he's not asking for a particular practice of rituals. He is asking them to honor God in quite seriously every single thing they do. That their response to the gospel truth is to be evident not only in their corporate worship when they are gathered, but also in their thinking, in their doing, in their speaking, in their dreaming, in their values, in their vocation, in their rest, and in every relationship. This is about their entire selves. This complete devotion to God reminds us of another life verse. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Our bodies, as Paul is calling us, are the location where we express all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. So Paul is saying, you take your body, Take every task you do every day. Take the ordinary, boring work of your office, the tedious chores of your home, the put-you-to-sleep sessions in your classroom and every single place between, and offer all that as an act of worship to God. Take your household chores. Take your pop quizzes. Take your patient consults, the spreadsheets, the errands, the homework assignments, the sessions, the phone calls, the lunches, the invoices, the volunteer commitments. Take every single meeting that could have been an email and offer every little thing as an act of worship to God. We're being asked 
That's what we're being asked, to offer our body and everything we do with it every single day. It is a living sacrifice, meaning it goes on and on and on as long as we live. We do not go to church to worship God. We go everywhere we go to worship God. So that is what we're to do, all-encompassing devotion, total praise, complete living sacrifice. This is a big ask, a consequential faith, a wildly inconvenient calling upon your life. Pastor and practical theologian and my friend, um, Kenda Dean, put it this way in her book, Almost Christian, a title that she ripped off from one of John Wesley's sermon titles, so good. Hear, hear this. The, good, the God portrayed in both Hebrew and Christian scriptures asks, not just for commitment, but for our very lives. The God of the Bible traffics in life and death, not niceness, and calls for sacrificial love, not benign whateverism. If the God of Jesus Christ is a missionary God who crosses every boundary, life and death and space and time to win us, then following Jesus is bound to be anything but convenient. Hmm. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Offer your entire life to a God who asks a lot of you. This is what we are to do. And that leads us to what is to actually happen in us, happen to us, which brings us to verse two, the hero of the day, the head of this whole section in the scripture, the life verse that we are here to really dig into. So Romans chapter 12, verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. So for Paul's first readers, this world would have been being conformed to the political ideologies of the Roman Empire, the structure of power that they knew. And for us, it's do not be conformed to this world, to this culture, to your very carefully aggregated echo chamber. More specifically, here's what Paul might be appealing to us. Do not conform to the standards of beauty that you've learned, the ones that fill you with shame about your body, your face, your hair, your skin, your teeth, your world taught you that. Do not conform to the confidence that your political party would be endorsed by Jesus and that people in the opposing party are ignorant or stupid or evil. Your world taught you that. Do not conform to the assumption that your paycheck or position represents your worth or that anyone's paycheck or position represents theirs. Your world taught you that. Do not conform to the marketing industry's suggestion that a brand or a product or a membership or an experience is going to make you feel whole. Your world taught you that. 
Do not conform to the self-harm in comparing yourself to someone else who you presume has a gift or a talent or a relationship that you want or need. Your world taught you that. Do not conform to the defeated attitude that nothing can get better, that our world is what it is, that division is normal, and that we simply are not made to get along. Your world taught you that. Do not conform to that world. Do not be shaped by those messages of your culture. Do not be influenced by your community's values and judgments and systems. Instead, resist the pressure to fit in. Resist the pressure to go along with everyone else, to stay within the boundaries of a tradition or a custom or a practice that mark who we're supposed to be. Resist the pressure to turn the other way rather than confront the injustice and hatred and oppression and immorality and greed and violence that surrounds us all the time. Resist the pressure of your world to color within the lines. My friends, it's, it's not actually even enough to resist the pressure of the world, and that's already a big enough ask. We're called to be transformed, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we might be better equipped to discern God's will, to know and do what is good and pleasing to God. It's God's love that is going to change you as you receive it. It's God's grace that is going to transform you. And so, being transformed by the renewing of your mind means that your entire self will be shaped by God's love. Michelangelo, speaking about sculpting, said, the sculpture is already complete within the marble block before I start my work. It is already there. I just have to chisel away the superfluous material. Slowly and carefully, the massive block of marble becomes the exquisite David. Michelangelo just revealed what had been there all along, set David free from the captivity of the marble. Similarly, Christ is the sculptor who shapes and transforms our lives. Christ chisels away the superfluous material, the embedded patterns of our world. Christ slowly and carefully embraces us in love and fills us with peace and bathes us in grace. And by Christ's love, we are set free from the captivity of sin. Christ reveals in each of us the beloved child being transformed and renewed by God that God could see was there all along. Christ sets us free. Our lives will be transformed from self-centered to Christ-centered. From keeping up with the culture to pressing on toward our calling. From seeking the acceptance of our world to desiring only to please God. Our lives will take the shape not of things or status or power or money or political party or physical beauty standards, but our minds and our hearts and our souls and our strength will take the shape of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which will look like justice 
and it will look like service and kindness and compassion. Kenda Dean goes on to say about this, Christians believe that transformation belongs to God. Christian formation, the patterning of our lives and our communities after Christ's own self-giving love requires grace, not determination. The church's job is to till the soil, prepare the heart, ready the mind, still the soul, and stay awake so we notice where God is on the move and follow. It is in following Jesus that we learn to love him. It is in participating in the mission of God that God decisively changes us into disciples. God decisively changes us into disciples. In 1976, four years after moving to Franklin Road from Church Street, Brentwood United Methodist Church was topped by a steeple. This beautiful image you see was taken by a friend and neighbor to BUMC named Beth. That steeple matters. It has stood for 46 years as a steady symbol of love and grace in the heart of our community as the town around it has changed and grown dramatically. In the late 80s and early 90s, that steeple is the place from which Reverend Joe Pennell wrote his sermons, where he sat above the trees and could look out on our entire community, our whole city, and pray for God's beloved children among us. Bishop Pennell prayed for you from that steeple. That steeple is a beacon of light and mercy drawing people into a place of refuge, welcoming people into a community of faith where they can be supported and loved and encouraged, where they may not feel those things anywhere else. That steeple draws a line to heaven, pointing our attention to God who transforms our lives and renews our minds and sets us on the path of discipleship. This week, you may know that that steeple was removed from on top of our church. That symbol was removed from our skyline. That landmark was removed from Beth's view across town. It was in need of some structural repairs that will not change the appearance of it, but will give it the strength to stand for 46 plus more years. If you want to have your mind just blown for a moment, get this. The base from which Bishop Pennell wrote those sermons is a 27-foot square weighing 24,000 pounds. The steeple, the spire, is 92 feet 10 inches tall and weighs 4,800 pounds. And that teeny tiny cross on top, that's actually 16 feet 8 inches high. That itty-bitty cross in the sky is nearly 17 feet tall. As it left its place on our building, many of us were gathered out on the front lawn watching this. I was reminded of that song. The church is not a building. The church is not a steeple. The church is not a resting place. The church is a people. I am so thankful for this church. I am so thankful for the building. Knowing full well that the church is not a building, I am thankful for this building, for its place right in the center of our town. 
I'm thankful for the hand statue outside that reminds us of our communion with God. I'm thankful for the incredibly subtle and powerful symbolism that just fills this room. For the safety and the security that we know inside these walls. For the sermons that have inspired us over the years from this pulpit. For the songs that have moved us from that choir loft. For the prayers that have been prayed at these altar rails. For the way the sun shines through all the different stained glass. I'm thankful for every time we get to gather around this baptismal font to welcome beloveds like Carter Christopher into our family. I'm thankful for every time that we approach that table and receive a meal to sustain us for our mission. I love this building. I love everything it stands for. I love our steeple and everything that it means to so many people. But I am especially thankful that there is a truth in the church is the people. The company that is restoring the steeple over the next year is called Campbellsville Industries. They're the oldest and largest steeple company in the United States. They are known for their work, so known that they are affectionately called the steeple people. They are. It's on the truck. And it occurred to me this week as I watched them take our beautiful but weary steeple away, that in a way, Romans 12 is calling on us, the church, to ourselves be the steeple people. The steeple may be gone, but the steeple people remain and we continue to be transformed and renewed. With our lives, we are to do the steeple's work. We are to communicate the gospel of Jesus' love and grace throughout our community. We are to proclaim in everything we do the ways that God has chipped away at the patterns of our world on us. We, us, we are to invite people into the safety and security of Christ's love found in this community of faith. We, all of us, are to witness to the truth that God welcomes us even while we are broken and being transformed. We are to draw a line heavenward and point attention to God by our very lives. To look to our neighbors and point to the God who is renewing our minds and giving us imaginations to live into Christ's incredible future of hope. That's what steeple people do. This church is overflowing with steeple people. Steeple people at every stage of discipleship, people who are being transformed. Wherever you are, no matter where. You are in your transformation and the renewal of your mind, you can be a steeple people. It doesn't matter whether you have been here since before that steeple went up in 1976, or you are here for the very first time today and cannot make sense of why these people care so much about the steeple. No matter, you are called to be a steeple people. Do not be conformed to this world, Paul says, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If we, all of us, 
called in Romans 12 to be transformed, to have renewed minds, to discern God's good will, if all of us can mobilize to seek a more perfect future, then the church on which that refreshed steeple will stand for the next generations will be defined not just by that steeple, but by the steeple people set apart to use their gifts, offer their entire selves as a living sacrifice, and to point heavenward with their lives. You are a steeple people, called to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, called to be transformed by the renewing of your minds, called to color outside the lines. It is a consequential faith. It is an inconvenient ask. But you are called to be a steeple people, and may it be so. Amen.